Okay. Tonight's talk. Tonight's talk. So, um, a very important Buddhist and contemporary uh, psychological concept is the idea of repression. And I'm going to talk about what that is and the nature of it and uh, why it's important. So first, to clear up matters, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have heard the words suppression and repression, and they tend to sound very uh, similar, and sometimes people are tempted to want to use them interchangeably. They, they don't actually mean the same thing. Suppression, I mean, they're very related, but suppression is when you are aware of something that you don't want to be aware of, and you push it out of your awareness. So you might get a bit of bad news, or a bill that you can't pay, or a, a, you know you might have a health issue, or you might get uh, some troubling information at work. Anything that we feel we can't handle, that's overwhelming, and we decide, okay, fuck this, I don't want to think about this. There's, you know, there's got to be a, a movie or something that I can watch, anything, you know, so I don't have to think about this. Just get the fuck, get the shit out of my mind. And um, so um, uh, it's uh, generally we suppress anxiety-producing content, and um, sometimes it's uh, it can be, especially when we're young and we might experience times of abuse or uh, times that are overwhelming, there's, there's a point to being able to su suppress certain amounts because we can be very easily overwhelmed and there's a reason why the, the mind can dissociate, which means take flight and no longer be aware of the, what's going on around us because sometimes when we're children, uh, events can be overwhelming and, and we know when we're children and infants we're very vulnerable and that... Uh, so we have these abilities to, uh, as human beings, push amazing amounts of information into uh, unconscious storage where we don't have to think about it. Uh, because it would be very difficult to function when we're a child sometimes uh, in an environment where there's abuse or where there is something very threatening. And uh, so... Um, that's suppression. It's basically pushing something down, pushing something out of awareness. Now, repression is the action of keeping something from rising up to awareness. So, in, in essence, it's the, uh, the, uh, the reflection. It's, the, it's part of the, the same process. So, sometimes we repress things that we've been aware of. Uh, that we've suppressed and we no longer want to have any uh, experience of. So, again, uh, early abuse, times of um, really frightening experiences, a, a very common thing that's suppressed and then continually repressed is um, when we're very young and we have emotional states that are difficult. We cry, we're frightened, we're frustrated, we're bored, we're lonely, uh, and we express these emotions to our caretakers. Sometimes these emotions aren't particularly well 
uh, tolerated by our parents, the people around us. Um, and so they become rejecting, shaming, dismissive. They don't pay attention to us when we're sad or frightened or lonely or whatever. So we learn to, um, when these emotional states arise, we associate these emotional states with anxiety because we're rejected when we experience, let's use loneliness. If when I was a child, I experienced, when I experienced loneliness and in any way presented it to my parents, they were shaming, I would begin to associate loneliness with an, an, an anxiousness. I'd then suppress it, and then when loneliness as an adult starts to come up, I would repress it, which means, uh, and I'll go into what that involves, um, but it basically means keeping it down. Now, sometimes we repress things that we've never acknowledged consciously, we've never even been aware of. For example, uh, sometimes people come from really dismissive, harsh parents, which if you ask them, they'll report, their, oh, my parents were wonderful. My parents were the best. I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with people, and you know, we dredge uh, at times through people's, uh, because you, know, you, you dig a little deeper, and suddenly the, the rosy, white picketed fences reveal sort of <laughs> darkness behind the doorways. Jesus, do I really talk like that? That's kind of <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Just kind of lynching uh, for a second there. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So, But sometimes people really believe, oh, I had a wonderful, my parents really were wonderful. They were supportive. They were wonderful. Well, give me an example of that. Oh, well, when I come home, if I didn't have the perfect report card, they'd send me up to my room and wouldn't talk to me. You're like, okay. <laughs> That's not what we were exactly thinking of. Sort of suggests something else entirely. So um, sometimes we don't acknowledge damaging relationships and we keep this acknowledgement down because the, the acknowledging that we were never truly loved or accepted or uh, safe uh, is a really, 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 really painful thing to acknowledge. So sometimes uh, it makes sense as infants and children to keep things repressed that could make us terrified. However, as adults, the toll of repression, keeping awareness uh, down, is a very steep one for a number of reasons. Number one, um, what we repress doesn't just go away. It actually affects all of our behaviors. You probably are not aware of the uh, you might be aware of the, the term transference, which is simply the psychological uh, state where we bring old dynamics of early childhood relationships into our current relationships. And when people in any way are, in our adult life, uh, even slightly critical, slightly dismissive, slightly um, uh, judgmental, slightly abandoning, we can go into triggered, activated, really uh, defensive states because this repressed fear of, being, of having been abandoned in childhood is still present, still being felt, and still being projected onto our adult lives. Does that make sense? Are you following me? 
This is all theoretical. It never happened to you, right? You, you found. <laughs> I'm good to know you. You, you got your ear to the ground there, Craig. Okay. All right. So Craig has heard stories of uh, repression and projection and transference. Uh, <laughs> but that's uh, yeah, that's the idea. Uh, it doesn't go away. We still act out on it, even though we're not conscious of it. Uh, if we grew up in an environment where we um, constantly had to perform to get any attention, then we'll still do that, even if we're unaware that that's the the, the mechanism that we want we want any sense of attention from. So um, it doesn't just disappear. It it, um, uh, it influences our behavior. If we were neglected in childhood we will act like neglected people in adult life, and we will desperately seek, um, we'll, def we'll act like somebody who's been neglected, even though we won't remember why we're acting this way. So, but the real reason why we don't want to get involved with constantly repressing and not acknowledging uh, really important uh, emotional experiences is because repression is directly associated with depression. When we are engaged in a project of not allowing ourselves to feel certain emotional states, um, what happens is we wind up depressed. Now, why is this? Um, this, is a, a, uh, an, a, this has been noted by many, many great psychologists from uh, uh, Hornby to D.W. Winnicott to one of my favorite, Alice Miller, who wrote Drama of the Gifted Child. And, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful um, books on this subject, but of course psychologists are not always down on neuroscience, and so sometimes I think it's helpful to explain why uh, repression leads to depression. So the first thing is that when we're keeping, for instance, suppose we don't want to ever allow ourselves to feel bored, because when we were bored, our parents were very uh, upset, and they'd take control of our lives, and they'd be shaming so whenever we feel bored, we have to immediately take action and fill ourselves with action, activities because the, act, the, the state, which is a very human state of being bored, we don't feel allowed ever to express because it just brings up this feeling of, of uh, anxiety. Um, the same anxiety that happened when we were children, we got bored and then we knew we were going to get punished for it. So um, the first thing it does is it requires distraction and self-deception. If I don't want to ever feel bored, I have to constantly distract myself. Same if I don't ever want to feel lonely or sad or upset or frightened, I have to constantly distract myself when those emotions are present. And distraction requires a lot of dopamine, which lifts us up for a little while, but then deposits us in the doldrums and the sadness, that's the clinical term. Um, Self-deception is also a, a state that requires a lot of, um, of energy. If every time I feel bored, I have to distract myself, not only do I have to find something distracting, but I have to convince myself that this thing that I'm paying attention to simply, because I don't want to feel boredom, I have to really believe that it's important. So, you know, whatever it is we're doing or watching, we have to deceive ourselves that, oh, this project I'm working on, this, you know, vacuuming, this, uh, this, this, you know, uh, uh, buying this thing on eBay, this is really important. 
You know, because <laughs> if we begin to question it, then we realize it's all a uh, facade to hide, you know, this this uh, this um, emotional state we don't want to fear, feel, which is boredom. Um, Repression requires splitting, and that actually uh, basically uses up all the cingulates, which is a part of the brain that focuses attention. It uses up its resources. So actually, when that happens, the cingulate begins less capable of weeding out the sort of sluggish, tired, beaten down feelings that happen from we're using up dopamine, we're, we're employing the cingulate to look away from something that's arising, and it leads to this state of heaviness. Um, in general, the combination of tiring out the mind by constantly re- you know, requiring uh, adrenaline, dopamine, acetylcholine, uh, focusing attention away, pushing down awareness, what happens is we, in essence, exhaust awareness, and we also tend to split or compartmentalize attention, and the result is uh, two feelings. One, emptiness, because we're aware that there's something that we need to feel that we're not allowing ourselves to feel. And that creates that feeling of lack or emptiness that so many people talk about. You ever have that feeling that there's something missing in life? There's something that, you know, there should be more. I should be, you know, I should be feeling something else. There's something I'm missing. There's a lack. That lack is the emotional states we don't like to feel and we're repressing. We're not missing anything as human beings at all. The the feeling that there's something missing in life is simply the shadow of all the times we've said to ourselves, I'm not allowed to feel this. I'm not allowed to think this. I have to keep this stuff down. So... um, that's the, we wind up feeling tired and empty, and that is another word for saying depressed. So, so the action of not allowing ourselves to feel this rising welling of fear or loneliness, boredom, whatever those ugly emotional states we don't like to feel, uh, the act of keeping them down and diverting our attention and not looking and keeping ourselves involved in work or relationships or social media or whatever are, are the, the, the sort of sideshows we put on in life, um, it keeps us feeling this sense of real hollowness. Um, it's interesting that the Buddha had two words for repression. One of them was avijja, which means like this core ignorance of not allowing ourselves to be aware of the difficult experiences that happen in life. Uh, the Buddha said, not only will we grow old, sick, and die, which are uh, happy thoughts, but we also, um, <laughs> we also will know sorrow, lamentation, grief, and despair. He said, that's going to be inevitable, but we don't want to feel those things. So the not allowing ourselves to feel these important emotional true states the cost of that is Ouija, and Ouija, the Buddha said, is at the absolute foundational core of all our suffering. Everything stems from this belief that we can somehow escape 
these core, messy, difficult emotional experiences. I'm the one that gets the inoculation from pain. I'm the one that should never have to feel sad or lonely. I'm the one who should just be able to distract himself so that I never feel lost or, or disconnected or confused or whatever. So in this desire never to feel the messy emotional states that my parents rejected, I launch off on all these projects known as craving. The Buddha said it's just craving something to fill us up, to, to divert our attention so that we can find happiness that never ends out there. And there's no such thing. Anything we attach to eventually will lose its shine and its appeal. And once again, we'll be in that state of, of uh, repressing and feeling the arising of the repressed. So the question then should be, well, or could be, it, given how, how disastrous repression is, why don't we just sit and face the ugly feelings and move on? given that that's really what all therapy is all about, and that's really what so much of spiritual practice is all about, why don't we just do it? Well, first of all, they're not fun to feel. Nobody particularly wants to feel sad, lonely, depressed, bored, you know, the real messy feelings that are down there. And the second thing is because we've associated these emotional states with anxiety, when they begin to arise, we feel anxious. We're like, uh-oh, something's wrong. I'm, you know, I'm at my job and I'm fucking bored and something's wrong, I'm anxious. And so what happens when we feel that anxiousness of something's arising that we don't particularly want to arise? I'll tell you what we do. We blame it on the people around us. <laughs> it's your fault. I'm in this relationship. We've been in a relationship for two months and the sex was great for the first two months, but now you're irritating me because you're reminding me of the lack of constant attention that I had as a child. <laughs> and now it's arising and I'm feeling that sense of disconnection and, and lack of care. And it's your fault! Because <laughs> I don't want to feel those states in and of themselves. I want to pin the blame on you and change you so I won't have to feel this. That's what we do. We change the jobs we're in, the relationships we're in, the color of our walls, the furniture, the, the this, the that. Also, we don't have to feel the anxiety that occurs when these difficult, messy, emotional states start to arise. So it requires a lot of fortitude to actually sit and feel the anxiety of, of holy shit, I'm feeling... Uh, I'm feeling this sense of, um, uh, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm not, I'm not fulfilled. And that makes me feel undirected. And when I was undirected as a child, boy, would my parents wreak havoc in my life. They would make me feel ungrateful, make me feel, you know, uh, spiteful, make me feel that there was something wrong, that it was just a matter of me not having an imagination and so I've got to do something, and it's probably the fault of you and my, and my job and everything around me, not the fact that this is an experience that everybody feels now and then, lost, confused. So, um, 
one of the things that uh, the mistakes that we often make is um, when the repressed starts to return, we try to argue logically with people. For instance, uh, we might be triggered and, and all these old feelings of um, sadness or lack of care or whatever starts to arise. And then we might want to say to our friends, oh, it's not that bad. We go through a relationship where it was only a, a three-week-long relationship. We, it, we, there's a breakup where we feel rejected, and then years and years of feeling unwanted begin to flood to the surface. There's anxiety, and our friends say, hey, what the fuck? You're only dating that person for three weeks. What's the matter with you? When we try to talk logic to people who are uh, in an emotionally difficult state, when we try to express that their emotions aren't logical, what we're trying to unfortunately do is just make them conform. That's all we're doing. We're just saying conform. Your emotions aren't particular. We're doing, in essence, the same thing that people's uh, caretakers do when they're not being skillful. We're basically saying, hey, I don't particularly think your emotions are right right now because they seem you know, a little bit out of line, so change them. And that's not really what we need. What we need is to be able to have a safe way to feel these emotions without, without trying to get rid of them. Now, there's a very thin line between feeling an emotional state arising and turning it into just this thing that we wallow in. Very often when we do allow uh, loss or rejection or feelings of uh, there's something... Uh, shameful about ourselves or whatever, when we allow these feelings to arise, what happens is we turn them into stories. And we can repeat these stories overall, over and over and over and over and over again. And thus we can turn, uh, we can turn what's a good project, feeling the repressed, opening to the repressed, into something that is just as bad as repression. We turn it into the story that we repeat. There's something wrong. I'm unlovable. Nobody likes me. I'm lost. I'm alone. So we turn uh, accessing these feelings into something that actually becomes like a tidal wave that we can't escape. So the key, uh, the Buddha used another word, which is uh, patiganusaya. And it's basically, he said that um, the, the tendency to be to repress and avoid the unwanted needs to be addressed in the body, in feelings. In other words, we don't go into the story, no matter how compelling the story is. We don't even need to go into recreating the, in the initial event that might or might not have happened in the past. What we need to do is feel the feelings. So I'm going to explain this for a second. Uh, very often, in cases where people suspect that uh, there might have been some kind of uh, physical aggression, say, in early childhood, and the idea of opening to this repressed material, people can feel, well, I need to get to the truth. Was I really physically beaten? Was I, you know, what really happened? And if that truth is easy to um, find out, I have nothing against it. But the problem is twofold. Number one, uh, 
uh, A, a lot of really early childhood events are, happen before we have narrative memory. Everything up until we're four, basically, we have no chance of recalling as, a, as an accurate narrative event. So the chances of us actually being able to recall some, some actual event is very, very slim. The second is people who are in situations, our parents or the people around who were there during times when some kind of abuse might have happened, generally they suppress the information themselves because they don't like to acknowledge that they were involved in a system where some child was you know, systematically being not well taken care of. So in my experience, um, it's, it's obviously um, disappointing for some people to hear, but in my experience, the need to reconstruct and find out what actually happens doesn't always, in fact, most of the time, it doesn't lead to anything uh, that's fruitional. If you can reconstruct it, fine, but in my experience, most people reach a dead end. What is useful all the time, though, is to feel what needs to be felt. If we felt uh, this echo, this longing, this feeling that we've never truly been accepted, never truly been loved, never truly been appreciated, whatever it is we've been keeping at bay, turn towards it, open to it. What does this feel like? What does it feel like to feel you know, like I wasn't safe all the time? And open to those feelings in the body. What happens to the breath? When I, when I ask how this feels. What happens to the stomach? What happens to the throat? In my case, I grew up with a father who was, up until he became a Buddhist and got sober in, when I was around 10, um, my dad was very violent, drunk all the time. And opening to those uh, feelings, I definitely get a very tight stomach and a sense of choking in my throat, a sense of not being allowed to always say what I wanted to say. So I hold those feelings, I create a safe uh, container for them, I feel how the breath gets cut off and I relax it, and I notice what happens to the mind, how jumpy and agitated the mind becomes. And I just hold these states and then I just remind myself, it's okay, I'm allowed to feel this now because I'm an adult. You know, it made sense that I repressed that violence when I was eight or six, because as a child I was completely vulnerable and I couldn't survive that situation. But as a, a man, I mean my father's even dead now, so I'm not particularly vulnerable. I haven't been vulnerable in 30 years. So part of this work is just bringing our emotional lives up to date, first by feeling them and then not by lecturing them but just reassuring ourselves, it's okay, it's okay, I can take care of myself. I'm not that eight-year-old. I'm now a man. I can stand up for myself. I'm not going to allow this to happen again. So I allow those feelings to be there, but I constantly, you know, it's in, in essence we're just reassuring these old, v deeply vulnerable emotional states and bringing them up to date. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess, enough for you guys to digest. Uh, the idea is that repressing things that are unpleasant is not exactly the wisest approach to adult life when it comes to managing messy emotions that um, 
really the course of affairs is to sit, to open, to express what we're feeling with people who will tolerate it rather than try to change us, uh, opening to the feelings in the body, allow, don't necessarily try to determine what is true from what it didn't happen, just allow whatever feeling needs to be attended to, just attend to it and honor it. And eventually, over time, we find that rather than needing to get rid of our boredom, our loneliness, our sadness, our vulnerability, we can be with these emotional states. We can move through life with this full emotional range. And when we do that, we no longer feel there's something missing from our lives. There's no longer this sense of a lack or emptiness or something missing, because when we can open to every single human emotion then we live as truly fulfilled, deeply present human beings. So I thank you for listening. Again, uh, we have time for questions now. And eventually when it's time to leave, if you can, help support the meeting by making donations. That would be really deeply appreciative.